Hey, very cool, very cool. Hey, if we have not met yet, uh, my name is Jono, uh, and it is my pleasure uh, to finish off our Swipe Right series. Who's been here for, for the month of July? Who's been here for a little bit? Yeah, if you haven't, if this is your, your first Sunday with us, or if you've missed a few Sundays, uh, just a quick update. We are currently uh, in the middle, we've got two Sundays left, this Sunday and next Sunday, of a series called Swipe Right. Right, does anyone recognize those words? Swipe right, right? Even like, no, of course, of course not. Why would I recognize those words? What on earth could they, they possibly mean? Yeah, it's Tinder. It's Tinder. Who is on Tinder? Show hands real quick. Oh, I almost tricked you. I almost tricked you. <laughs> I thought you meant Tinder. Sorry, that's a, it's a spiritual praying app. Yeah, Tinder is, it reminds me to pray. You said Tinder. No, no, I'm not on Tinder there. Who, who would? Uh, but but we're, we're in a series called Swipe Right, which is based on a book by our pastor Levi Lusco of Fresh Life Church over in the States called Swipe Right. Oh, look at that. You're all there. Can we bring them down a little bit or I won't be able to see my notes? We can't. Can we just have them off then? I can still see them. You can see me because of that. They are, that's beautiful. And then it faded some more. That's still beautiful. I can see all your lovely faces. That's very nice. But uh, this book, Swipe Right, it's uh, called Swipe Right, The Life and Death Power of Sex and Romance. And we've been looking at this idea of what does it look like to have a Christian approach to relationships? What does it look like to have a, a Christian approach to, to sex and sexuality? And, and, and the, the whole kind of idea of this book is it's not, in the series, is it's not meant to be about making you feel bad, right? If you leave this morning feeling uh, bad, please understand that that's not our intent, right? In fact, I want to tell you, you don't have permission, you don't have permission to leave here feeling condemned or feeling bad about yourself. Because here's the thing, right? We can't change what's in our past, right? We're going to talk about that next week. But we can't change what's in our past. But what we can change is the way that we approach our future. We can change what tomorrow looks like for us. And so today what I want to talk to you about is I, I want to continue this, this series. And I want to talk about marriage, right? Everyone say marriage. Has anyone seen The Princess Bride? I'm not going to do it, right? Because it'll just, it'll turn into a thing and some people don't like the Princess Bride and those people are dumb because everyone likes the Princess Bride, right? But, but Malwidge, 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 that blessed institution, even doesn't like the Princess Bride. It might be a point of contention in our Malwidge. It's not, it's not, it's fine. She's just, she's on a journey, right? No one can be perfect. Em's got everything going for her except for movie taste. She just, you know, that one thing, right? Princess Bride, come on. We'll watch it again tonight. It'll be like, we'll just keep on playing it until you like it. And you'll be like, I like it now. Just please stop playing it every night. Right, but I want to talk to you about marriage. And, and I, want to, I want to start, I want to preface this by acknowledging Em and I have been married for 12 years now. Yep, 12 years now. I've got the date on my arm tattooed, right? So by 12 years, I meant five. It's, um, yeah, well, we look great for age, you know, it's just, you know, I, I find if you pray, then just God just, you know, he just brings a spirit of youth and vitality to you, right? We've been married for five years. Five is almost like 12, except it's seven less, uh, but, but we've been married, we got married in 2012, that's, that's, and the date's tattooed on my arm, not because I might forget it, 
just because I'm really, I'm really cool, that's why. Don't judge my choices, right? We got married five years ago, and I want to start by acknowledging the fact that some of you in this room have been married for a lot longer than five years, right? I'm not calling you old. I'm just saying that you've, you've had the opportunity of, 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 yeah, you got married when you were really young, right? Ignoring the fact that Emma and I got married when I was like 21. But, you, you know, you've, you've, you've been married for a long time, not because you're old, but because you're wise. We'll just keep on going, right? It'll turn into horribleness. Right, and so I don't want to stand here uh, pretending that I'm the expert in the room on marriage. Right, I'm, I'm not necessarily coming saying, hey, my name's Jono and I've been successfully married for five years, so I'm pretty sure I've figured it out, right? I've got, I've got everything. We don't even have kids yet, right? So I understand that, that that seems to compound all of the fun of marriage to the nth degree. Right, but, but what I do want to say is that maybe I'm here today and, and I'm naive enough that if you've been married for a long time, that, that I can just simply bring an encouragement to you. That despite the, the complexities of life, that some things are still simple and true. Maybe, maybe you're not married here today, or, or maybe you have been married, maybe you're single, or, or maybe you're dating, but the principles that we're going to talk about today... They apply no matter what uh, relationship you're in, no matter where you are in your life. These, these ideas will be helpful. And, and ultimately for me, I've been praying this entire week that, that as we're here and as we're talking about marriage, that, that it wouldn't be my ideas, that it wouldn't be my great ability to hold a microphone and speak convincingly, but that God would speak to us. That as we're here and as we're looking at this idea, as, as we take the time to intentionally just go, God, what, what is in marriage for us? What does relationships look like for us as Christians? God, what do you have for us that, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us? That maybe it's not even something that I say, but it's a feeling that you get. Maybe as I'm talking, God will drop a, a dream in your heart or, or a thought or an expectation, but, but that we'd be here. And let's just start by acknowledging that some of us might have been married for a long time, but God knows more about relationships than any of us, right? And God's always got something to teach us. So why don't we start by uh, bowing our heads and, and just join me in prayer, yeah? God, I thank you for, for this honor to, to come together as your people and to, to look at one of the most important things in life, our relationships to each other. God, thank you that you didn't put us on this earth to be a solitary people, God. God, that, that you take the lonely and that you put them in families. God, thank you that you've called us to relationship with one another. And in that relationship with one another, we, we can see something of our relationship with you, God. God, that you're present in that space. God, I pray for everyone in this room, no matter where we are today, that, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be changed, that we would leave different than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things that uh, annoys me most about marriage in society, I'm not talking about my marriage, right? We might get to that, but probably not because that would be weird, right? But one of the things that annoys me the most about marriage in society is, is I reckon one of the biggest myths about sex and romance and dating is the lie that marriage is boring, right? You know, it's, it's interesting. It's this idea that, man, when you're young, you better get all your wild living out of the way, right? When you're young, you better have fun. When you're young, you better go out and stay out late at night and, and live your wild ways because when you get married, Right, like when you get married, ah, oh, where did the shackle appear on my leg? And ah, oh, there's a, a chain, and on the end of the chain is a ball, and ah, oh, oh, now I just have to 
drag myself through life like, ah. And people tell you, oh, we got engaged. And married couples respond like, huh. Sure you're ready for that. Huh. Interesting decision. Right, you know, it's crazy. I remember when, when Em and I got married, people would, would come to us and, and we were freshly engaged and we were excited and they'd be like, oh, okay, cool. You know, just be ready for the first year. What do you mean just be ready for the, just, just prepare yourself. You're, you're going to premarital counseling, aren't you? Because, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of issues that come out in that first year and you, you need some help getting through them. You know, it, it was interesting, and I'm, I'm by no means saying that issues do not arise in marriage, right? I'm by no means saying that Em and I are the perfect example of a perfect relationship. We've never fought in our entire lives, in fact, you know, just look at me. I'm, do you see the, the, the oh, I thought for a second I got stigmata. No, I didn't, right? But here's the thing. Marriage is, is, is in culture, it's, it's so often spoken down on, right? It's interesting, in the book Swipe Right, Levi Lusco talks about an article that he read in Time magazine, and it begins by saying, there's a reason fairy tales always end in marriage. And you know, that's kind of true if you think about it. In fact, if you think about The Princess Bride, right? It, it ends in marriage, the, the other marriage, not the, not the marriage marriage. If you haven't seen it yet, then you just, come on, guys, right? You can still go see it. It's great. Miracle Max. Oh, it's still in the movies at the Brown House Theatre, right? But, but it's interesting, right? Fairy tales, it's, it's Prince Charming meets Snow White or Cinderella or the princesses all have names. The prince just gets one name because it's not really about the prince, right? They meet the princess and, and they go through the tumultuous kind of thing and, and then finally they ride off into the sunset to be married, right? Or romantic comedies, it's like boy meets girl, hilarious misunderstanding, right? Go through the resolution of the misunderstanding and then they end up together and they get married. Or if you're today, because marriage is kind of unpopular, they just end up kind of like living together, which is a bit not so much of a great end to a movie, but it, it's more kind of in line with, hey, not every relationship has to end with marriage, guys. You know, it's interesting, this, this article, it, it goes on to explain that the reason that all of these stories end in marriage is it's because no one wants to see what comes after. It's too grim, meeting the right person, working through comedic misunderstandings. These are stories worth telling, even overcoming disapproval from family to get to the altar, but plodding on year after year with the same old soul is boring. You know, it's, it's, it's this lie that marriage is lame. It's this lie that, that there's no fun after the initial spark and chemistry and sizzle and passion and newness of a relationship. That after that, it's just ball and chain, year after year, same old soul, right? Like I said, we see this in, in advice around marriage, that newly engaged couples get approached and they get this, this talk. And, and if, if you took this talk out of context, it would sound like they had decided to enroll to go to like Navy boot camp, right? Like just prepare yourself, just steal yourself. How are your expectations going in? Know that you'll be exhausted, Know that you will break. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? Just prepare yourself for the moment. And, and I'm not saying that advice isn't helpful, but the expectation that we go into seems so odd. One of the, the biggest surprises to me about being married is how fun it's been. Right now, now some of you might be thinking, of course you're having fun, Jono, you don't have children, Right, of, of course you're enjoying yourself. You, you, you have not yet experienced the, the miracle of new life. But I, I just want to put this suggestion to you. 
right? That in Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve together, the first marriage, it's, it's invented by God, right? Marriage is, is not a human idea, right? A, a de facto relationship is a human invention, but inviting God into a covenant between two people, that's God's idea. And, and God doesn't come up with average plans, God designs brilliance, and if God invented marriage, then God has intents for marriage, and those intents are not just to get by. See, the, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, this is the, the message version, uh, find a good spouse, and you find a good life, and even more, the favor of God. You know, the interesting thing about this, this article in the Time magazine is, is after the whole, you know, marriage is boring and marriage is horrible and, and marriage is just plodding year after year, same old soul. It goes on to say, studies do suggest, almost like a concession, like, oh, I guess we should chuck this in to maintain our journalistic integrity. We are the Times magazine, right? Studies do suggest that married people will have better sex better health and wealth, and will probably die happier than people in a de facto relationship. That they have a lower likelihood of strokes, heart disease, and depression. Married people also respond better to stress, and and they heal more quickly. Right, like, just, you know, marriage is a drag. Marriage is is boring. Marriage is horrible. Same old soul, year after year. You're probably not going to want any of it, right? But, and just... On the side, when you get married, you kind of turn into a superhero. <laughs> like, you're not going to want to get married because, huh, but, but if you did decide to get married, right, if for some reason you want to make that decision, when you get married, you're basically an X-Man, right? You basically start to heal quicker. You basically start to get sick less often. You basically start to find that everything in your life in comparison to someone in a de facto relationship, right, a couple living together who are not married, everything seems to get better. Isn't it amazing that this was buried? That that's not the lead. It's not studies find married people uh, experience increase in every significant area in life. It's uh, journalists thinks that marriage is kind of dumb. Studies contradict everything journalists thinks. (laughs) Right? Isn't it interesting that 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 society seems to be anti-marriage, right? Not anti-weddings, right? Weddings are an industry. Society is pro-weddings because you can make bank on weddings, right? Society is an anti-romance, right? Because again, romance is an industry. You can make a lot of money making money out of romance, right? But, but being with someone year after year, commitment and dedication, right? That just seems to, to not be all that popular. Could it be that the devil is anti-marriage? Could, could it be that, that marriage is awesome, that marriage is a blessing, that it's a gift? And I'm not saying that it's easy, right? Statistics show that in America, around about 50% of first marriages, 67% of second marriages, and 73% of third marriages end in divorce, I'm not saying for a second that marriage is easy. Marriage is good. Marriage is from God, but marriage isn't easy. See, so my goal this morning is to convince you that marriage, like it says behind me, is worth fighting for. See, why you should fight for all that God wants for you. Why, whether you're, you're married or you're single, whether you've, you've been divorced or you're dating, whatever you, wherever you currently are, 
that in this series, like I said at the start, the tone of the series isn't, isn't to, to condemn us, isn't to make us feel bad about the things that have happened to us or the, the choices that we've made, but is to encourage us from this day forward to turn our eyes to the future because we're not here to try and make you feel bad for things in your past. We want to help you fight for your future because that's God's mentality. God doesn't point at the things that we've done wrong and shame us. He doesn't rub our noses in our mistakes, but God reminds us and points us towards trying to help us understand that he has a brighter tomorrow for us, that our future holds something significant. So I don't want any of us to to hang our heads and slump our shoulders in, in condemnation as we leave today. Because I can't change what's in my past. You can't change what's in yours. But we can make decisions about how we approach tomorrow. All right, so I've got, I've got two points today on how we can fight for marriage, right? And if you're not married here today, these points are just as helpful for how we can both fight for our future relationships and fight for our current relationships. Is that all right? Very cool. Turn to your neighbor and say it's worth fighting for. Come on, you can do it a little bit better than that. I meant to like, say it like you've got some, some gusto in you. Turn to your neighbor and say it's worth fighting for. That's better. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, turn with me if you have your Bibles here today. We'll put it up on the, the big screen as well. To Exodus chapter 17. We're going to read from verses 9 to 13. I'll be reading from the, uh, the message translation if you've got like an electronic Bible and you can change translations so quickly or you have a stack of Bibles under your seat. That's my go-to joke for translations. Uh, but Exodus chapter 17, I, I appreciate the pity laughs. I re- it helps. Putsy found it funny. Em's already read my message, so she knows when the laughs are coming. So she's like, oh, I've got to laugh here. <laughs> it's the secret of a good marriage, right? But Exodus chapter 17 is, is an interesting story, right? It takes place just after the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, have left Egypt, right, where they've been enslaved, and they're trying to make their way to the promised land. And one of the initial things that happens that that Jordan talked about at the very start of the series is they're in the middle of the desert in the wilderness and they've got no water, right? And they stumble across this source of water, but it says the water is bitter, right? It's it's not good to drink. It's going to make them sick. Trust me, you don't want jardia, right? And so they come to this water, but God makes their bitter water sweet, right? And then another thing that happens to them is, is they're traveling through and and, and pretty much right after they've crossed the Red Sea and they're making their way towards what would eventually be a 40-year-long journey to get into the promised land, is they're attacked. They're attacked by a people called the Amalekites. And Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 to 13, is the story of the battle between the Israelites, the Jewish people, and the Amalekites. These enemies come against them to stop them from entering into all that God has promised for them. Right now, I want to use this story and and the lessons that we can learn in this story as an illustration of how we can fight for our relationships, seeing how the Israelites fought against the Amalekites for their promise. Right, because I hope you know as you're sitting here this morning that God has a promise for you. That God has promised a relationship for you. And I don't know the exact specifications of what that relationship looks like, but God didn't put you here on earth to be on your own. He puts the lonely into families. God has a place and and a people for you to belong to. But we have to fight to belong in those relationships because the devil doesn't want us in unity. 
The devil doesn't want us in these relationships. And so there's two things we're going to take out of this story. Turn with me, Exodus chapter 17, verses 9 to 13. It says this. Amalek came. Yeah, perfect. I'm coming up just before. Amalek came and fought Israel at Rephidim. Moses ordered Joshua, select some men for us and go out and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I will take my stand on top of the hill holding God's staff. Joshua did what Moses ordered in order to fight Amalek and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. It turned out that whenever Moses raised his hands, Israel was winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek was winning. But Moses' hands got tired, so they got a stone and set it under him. He sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side, so his hands remained steady until the sun went down. Joshua defeated Amalek and its army in battle. See, here's the thing, right? Uh, Growing up, there seems to always be a space in my sermons for like Jono's admission time, right? It's like I've got a, a burdened conscience. It's right, I've got a captive audience. I'll tell you some things about my childhood, right? So, so spare me, just pretend you're all therapists for me for a minute and just indulge me. Growing up, I was a promiscuous friend, right? All of your ears are propped up. You're like, oh, okay. I'm going to record this bit, right? It's going to be juicy. This is going to be great. I'm going to share it with my friends later. We went to church and a guy talked about being promiscuous. I don't mean it like that. Right, what I mean is, is growing up, I, I seem to change best friends. You can't really call them that because I changed them. I changed best friends around about once every three to six months, right? Depending on how interesting the person was. Right, what, what, what would happen is, is, is I'd, I'd hang out with these guys for a few months, right? And, and then kind of the shine would wear off. I don't know if anyone knows what I mean. You're probably just judging me. Jono, you're a horrible person. How'd you become a pastor, right? The grace of God must be working in you because you suck, right? But, but, and, and so I'd be friends with these people for a couple of months and, and, and then it would kind of just start to get a little bit boring, right? We'd start to have friend fights. You know what I mean? Friend fights, obviously when you're a kid because we're all mature adults now and we don't fight with people at all ever, right? We're just perfect, but we start to have friend fights, and, and those things that, that used to kind of be interesting about the person started just kind of getting a little bit annoying, right? That, that guy I used to like hanging out with because he had an Xbox, and you could play Xbox at his house. Jono, you're such a horrible person, right? You'd go to his house to play Xbox. All of a sudden, you're like, man, all you ever do is play Xbox. This is boring. I'm going to go make friends with that guy. He'll skateboard with me. That's awesome. Right? And so growing up, I'd, I'd kind of, I'd be friends with someone for, for a little while, and, and then, and then I'll, they'd start to get on my nerves a little bit because obviously I was always perfect and so nothing about me could ever irritate them. And, and, and so I, the, the things would just start grading a little bit and, and, and then rather than working out the friend fights, I'd just kind of drift, right? Like I wouldn't be like, that's it, we're not friends anymore, you're cut, right? You're gone, not part of the Jono crew anymore, I only need myself and I go for fun. It wasn't like that, it would just kind of be like, oh, you want to hang out today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible. Horrible person, right? Poor person. They always, they always had someone else, right? I wouldn't leave them on their own, I think. <laughs> Remembering, yeah, not sure. Don't say that, right? But, but I just kind of drift. And, and obviously, I've, I've matured a lot, and, and I'm, I'm a great person now, and I obviously wouldn't do that. Please, please believe that. But, but that's just kind of how I was, I found that, that working out the root of the fight was, was too much work, so I just kind of drift away. Because here's the thing, I don't know if you've found this, but in relationships, conflict is inevitable. 
right? In relationships, it's, it's inevitable that at some stage you'll have some sort of conflict. And so if in just normal friendships, if in just kind of two guys hanging out playing Xbox or, or skateboarding or girls doing the same kind of stuff because don't do gender stereotypes, right? If, if, if in that conflict can arise, what happens when you decide to share all of your life with someone? Right? What happens when you decide to take someone who's a great friend and be like, do you know what I want to do? Let's just hang out all the time. Right? Like when I go home, let's just hang out at home too. Let's, let's sleep in the same bed so that we're always together. Is it possible that maybe the likelihood of conflict might increase a little bit? That maybe there might be a whole lot more room to fight. Right? Why? Why is it that, that conflict occurs in relationships? And to a further extent, why is it that all too often conflict in marriage results in a breakdown of the marriage? Right, because surely that wasn't God's design. Right, God wasn't like, sweet, Adam, Eve, marriage, and like 50% of those will work out. Moving on, the platypus. Right, surely when he made Adam and Eve, when he designed marriage, his intent was for something permanent, right? God does not enter into covenants that just last for a little bit, right? He was in a covenant relationship through the highs and the lows with the Jewish people. He's in a covenant relationship with us no matter what we do. God isn't about temporary uh, relationships. He's not about temporary joining together. And I think one of the reasons that conflict so often arises in relationships, that, that conflict is so often present in marriages is because strong marriages, real marriages, authentic marriages, build strong, loving families, build healthy families, right? And, and, and strong, loving, healthy families are one of the best ways to bring heaven to earth, when two people supported by each other, both emboldening each other, both encouraging one another, both in thriving relationships with God, when two people are in that space, that is a recipe to change the world. Right, when one person can dream and another person can come alongside them and say, I'm believing with you. Right, when one person can come alongside another when they're doubting, when they're worried, when they're feeling hurt about life and say, I can stand with you in this moment and we can believe together. That's a relationship that's going to change the world. Right, and so what happens is the devil who doesn't want the world to be changed opposes marriage. Check this out, right? We're going to go to Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 23 to 25, and then verse 3, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. I'm reading the message version. This is the first marriage, right, which I already talked about, that marriage, Adam and Eve. It says this, the man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. And then immediately the next verse, right? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, which it's important to note that, that this was written as one poem, right? This is written as, as one continuous kind of piece of text and, and the chapters, right? The chapter divisions and the verse divisions that are there, they, they were introduced in the English version of the Bible, right? So, so there wasn't a chapter division added till later on, which means that immediately after man and woman naked and not ashamed is this verse, 
Right, so it reads like this. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman, do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't this interesting, right? Naked, no shame, enter stage left, the serpent. See, the idea is, is the very next thing to happen, the moment that there is a union and two become one, now the serpent. Why? Because he knows what we need to know. The devil knows that unity releases strength. Right, this is a, a known truth in the world. Why are managers paid more? I'll give you a hint, it's in the name, right? They are paid more to manage, right? And and what is management? I'm speaking hypothetically here because I have not yet risen to such lofty heights within the Ministry of Social Development, right? (laughs) I was just winking at Rachel, who's a general manager. Um, But but the reason that managers are paid more is that they're in charge of a team's culture, Right, any manager worth their salt knows that a unified team is an effective team, that a unified business is an effective business. In fact, large businesses have entire departments managing their internal communications for this very reason, because they know that just as important as what they say out there about their company is what they say internally about their company. That it doesn't matter how great they say they are out there if they don't have effective internal communications that allow the people in the company to buy into their vision, nothing's going to happen. See, the moment that, that in, a, in a business you start to get little kingdoms and, and little silos and, and this is my team and this is my job and everyone starts to get into factions, the moment that the power of unity crumbles we label that as a toxic business culture, right? And, and people make millions of dollars being brought in to fix those problems for businesses, right? Being brought in into external consultants coming in and saying, I'll look at your culture and I'll figure out how do we reintroduce unity to this business? How do we unify this business together? And that's why the devil, one of his main strategies is always to divide so that he can conquer Right, he'll do it in the church, he'll do it in a family, he'll do it in the team, because what the devil understands that we need to understand is the power of unity isn't just in the now. The power of unity is in the follow-through. Right? It's not so much that the devil is afraid of you enjoying a good life. Right? In fact, if you're comfortable and you're not really making much of a difference, he probably doesn't mind. See, what the devil is afraid of is he sees generations of what could happen if you rise up and take a part of God's plan. The devil sees legacy. He's scared of the fact that your grandkids, grandkids, grandkids are gonna tell the story of your selfless, united, humble relationship, and they're gonna want one for themselves. So he attempts to create dysfunction and pain, and brokenness, and unhealthy living here, so that down the road, they're afraid of marriage. They're scared of marriage, so that they think the institution is flawed. You know, it says in John chapter 10, verse 10, in the the NLT version, that the thief's purpose, that's the devil, the thief's purpose is to steal, and kill, and destroy. My purpose, this is God, is to give them a rich, and satisfying life. God wants us to have unity, 
But here's the thing. We need to think follow through. We need to realize that marriage is worth fighting for. Right, so how do we fight for marriage? How do we fight for unity in our relationships? How do we not just focus on our futures, but, but the futures of our future generations? I think we need to employ the strategy that Moses and Joshua demonstrated for us, which looks like two simple steps. I've got two simple steps for us, and then we'll be done. Moses raised his arms, and Joshua drew his sword. Right? Fighting for marriage, fighting for relationships is going to require both praying and having a plan. It's going to need to be spiritual and it's going to need to be logical. It's going to need to be theological and it's going to need to be practical. So we have two points of application, one from Joshua, one from Moses, and then we're done. If you're taking notes, my first point is Joshua drew his sword. We need to realize that to fight for marriage to fight for our relationships, we need to fight, right? To fight for our relationships, we can't sit back and expect that life is gonna be a breeze. We can't sit back and expect that, that no problems will ever face us. That it's just gonna be easy. We need to be willing to fight and we need to be willing not just to fight with each other, right? We need to be willing to fight. And I wouldn't usually advocate from the pulpit fighting, right? I consider myself a pacifist. I wouldn't usually advocate from the pulpit to, to go looking for a fight, but in life, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our, our marriages, we need to be looking for a fight. We need to go out into life looking to fight temptation. We need to go out into life looking to fight resentment, looking to fight bitterness, fight complacency, fight selfishness, because if we don't go looking for a fight, the fight will come to us. If we don't go into life looking to fight for marriage, the fight will come to us. Fighting for marriage is an offensive game, not defensive. It's not good enough to wait for the fight to come to us and think, oh no, all of a sudden here I am and, and I resent my wife for this unspoken issue that's been going on the last past month. Oh, oh no. Here I am and I'm at work and, and this relationship that I've been indulging at work, all of a sudden it's starting to feel dangerous and I don't know what, what to do. How do I fight on the back foot in life? We need to draw our swords and go looking for a fight. It says in Song of Songs, Song of Songs, Songs of Solomon, also called Song of Songs, uh, chapter two, verse 15, it says this. Put it up, the next one, Song of Solomon, chapter two, verse 15. We don't have it, I'll read it, it's not long. It says this, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. See, here's the thing, right? That can seem like a weird piece of biblical poetry, okay? Read Song of Solomon the one, kind of made me a little bit uncomfortable. There we go, we got it up there, right? There was lots of heaving and, and breathing, and oil, I went on to Psalms, right, because I'm a holy man and that made me feel very uncomfortable. I encourage you, if you're married, you should read Song of Solomon. But anyway, here's the thing. A marriage is won or lost in the little things, right? The, the big things that get in between you, the big things that become big issues, they often start small. This, this metaphor in Song of Solomon about the foxes, theologians believe, uh, refer to a small Middle Eastern fox, similar to Blanford's fox, right, for those foxologists uh, here today. 
And, and this fox, it's a small thing. It's around about 42 centimeters long and it, it weighs around about a kilogram. And this fox loves to get into vineyards and they eat both the grapes and the plant buds. And as a result, either a harvest would be lost or that plant would never get to mature into a mature grapevine. Right, but the most dangerous thing about this fox, the, the most dangerous thing about this fox, if we show the photo, is this fox is really cute. Right, the most dangerous thing about this fox is look at its cute little ears. Or look at their little nose. And, and look, look at what does the fox say? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Mark actually asked me that when we were preparing this, and I was like, yep. Yep, yep, I can't remember that song. But it's, right, it's this cute little fox, all fluffy. It's got a long, bushy tail, and I imagine it runs along, and it's like, nimble, nimble, nimble. Right, like, like, pokes its head out, and it, like, twitches its nose. Right, it's like Fantastic Mr. Fox, which is one of the greatest movies of all time. Right, the, the problem with this fox is it doesn't look destructive. The problem with this fox is that it doesn't look dangerous, but this fox, if it gets into the wrong place, it can wreak Havoc. See, we have to draw our swords on the little foxes, the things in life that we could technically justify, right? We'll take that, otherwise it just gets to, look at the fox. What did the fox say? Because <laughs> we killed it. There is, yeah, just a moment of reflection for the poor fox. But here's the thing, in life there's, there's things that we could technically justify, things that are technically permissible that we could get away with. And I'm not going to give you a list, right? I'm not going to be like, here is the things that you can and cannot do with people of opposite genders to you, right? You can stand within one meter but no closer, right? Don't sniff in their direction if they're wearing perfume, right? If, if you've been exercising, don't stand too close because your blood is pumping through your body and you are an animal. I'm not going to say that. Because here's the thing, it's not about a list, it's not about a list of rules, but in life, are we aware what's a fox? What's coming at us in our relationships that's seemingly innocuous, that, that might have seemingly started innocent, but now there's a role that this person is playing that only your spouse should be filling? Well, what happens in life where there's that, that magazine or that publication or that show that actually what you're seeing there is filling a role that, that's not meant to, a role that's reserved for your spouse. Where are the foxes? And let's realize that if we leave them be, if we leave these little small, cute, seemingly innocuous, innocent things, that they will ruin the vineyard of our love, that we need to fight. Right, speaking of fighting, Ephesians chapter 4, verse uh, 26 says, Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Right, and, and this doesn't just apply to fights. Right, it doesn't just mean don't shout at your wife and then roll over and go to sleep. Right, it doesn't mean, you know, sleeping in the doghouse is unbiblical. Just saying, right, you should not go to bed on your anger. It's also saying don't go to bed resentful. It's saying don't go to bed frustrated. And a side note, right, if, if resentment or frustration or bitterness have piled up, right, what I'm not saying is that you can't sleep for weeks, right? You're just going to have to sit down and work through it, right? You've got years of bitterness and frustration, but you're just sitting down and you're looking each other in the eyes and you'll be like, all right, let's work through this. We're not sleeping. Counterproductive, right? But, but what I am saying is, is, is that we need to stop these things building up by working through them as they arise, Right, if you have a clean slate, don't go to bed with dirty dishes. 
right? Make sure that you're all good. Sometimes the issues aren't resolved. Not everything, everything is that simple, but, but pray, God, help me not to be resentful. God, help me to forgive. This situation is still going on and I'm, I'm still feeling this, uh, but help me to, to love my spouse. Help me to honor them. And it might be that in life you have a stack of dirty dishes, right? That, that things have built up. And you might need to allocate some time to work through them. You might need to, to bring in someone to help you to deal with them. And that's fine too, whatever we need to do to fight for our marriages. But I wholeheartedly believe that in our relationships, we can catch the foxes. We just have to be willing to fight. Right, and again, you might be sitting here and saying, sure, Jono, you know, five years of marriage, you're chasing foxes. I've been married for 30 years. I don't care about no stinking foxes. I'm very tired. I just wanna say this isn't my idea. Right, this is what the Bible says about maintaining a healthy marriage. Right, God knows marriage, God knows relationship. If you wanna argue with him, you are more than welcome to. It's called praying, I do it quite regularly. Right, but here's the thing, the Bible says that, that if we can avoid the situation of temptation by cutting off small things before they ever have a chance to get big, then like Joshua, we will be drawing our swords on things that would eventually cause us to live lives of sadness and regret. The second thing, and we're gonna learn this from Moses just as Putty gets up on the guitar, is, is from Joshua we learn that we need to draw our swords, that we need to be willing to fight for what we believe in and value. And the second point, if you're taking notes this morning, is Moses raised his arms. Right, and so we know in this story, while Joshua is down on the battlefield fighting, Moses goes to the top of the hill and he raises his hands and he prays over the battle. But as he's praying, Moses starts to get tired. As he's praying, Moses' hands start to fall. I don't know if you've ever experienced that feeling, right? I was at shout, and my hands raised. I was like, wow, probably need to work my shoulders a little bit more in the gym because I'm quite sore, or whatever muscle it is that holds your hands up, right? Anatomy 101. Your hand muscles holding onto the sky. Right, but, but Moses has got his hands up. And his hands start to get tired because in life, sometimes we get tired. In life, sometimes we get weary and that's okay. Let's not pretend that we're superhuman. If we pretend we can hold our hands up for all eternity, we're just going to be disappointed. Let's figure out what to do when our strength fails. Right, and so when his hands fell, the enemy, the Amalekites, they start winning the battle. So Moses gets some friends, Aaron on one side and, and her on the other, and they get a stone and they set it under him and he sat on it and Aaron and her held up his hands. See, practically, Moses wasn't alone. In life, when you get tired, who do you have to hold up your arms? Who do you have to believe with you, to, to stand with you? If you're tired of drawing your sword, who can encourage you? Who can draw a sword with you? See, this morning, are you in an e-group? Are you supported? Sometimes life gets busy, I get that. Sometimes life gets hectic. But life is too important not to have people around us who advocate for us. Right? I don't know what that looks for you. I know that we as a church facilitate that through e-groups, and you're welcome to join one if you're not already in one. But make sure somewhere in life you're supported. Make sure somewhere in life you've got people around you. Moses is on the hill, supported by his friends. 
and Joshua is down on the battlefield fighting, sword drawn. But, but the reason that they win isn't because Joshua has drawn his sword. The reason that they win is because Moses prays. You know, it's interesting. Studies have shown that when a married couple attends church together regularly, when they pray regularly, when they read the Bible and when they take their faith seriously, they are as much as 35% less likely to be divorced. See, here's the thing. What is your marriage built on? Is it, is it your passion? Is it your strength? Because Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, I know in my marriage... I ask God to do the heavy lifting. In my marriage, I know I'll draw the sword. I'll go to battle. I'll kill the foxes. But, but I believe that God brought him and I together. I believe that God brought us together. And I have faith that he's keeping us together. And so as I fight for all that God wants for me, for all that God wants for us, as I feel my arms getting tired, as I feel my arms getting weak, as I feel my resolve beginning to slip, I'm reminded that I'm not strong in my power. I'm reminded that it's in my weakness that God's strength shines through, that, that God has brought us together, that no man shall split us apart. See, as we're here today, no matter what relationship we're currently in, God desires unity for us in all of our relationships. But especially if you're married here today or you're believing to be married, God wants Christian marriages to be an example to the world of why having God in a relationship is the best way to do it. That we would be a three-stranded rope, not easily broken. So where is it in your life, no matter where you are at the moment, that you need to be aware of the fact that, man, there's some foxes running around some foxes running around for me personally and I need to draw my sword and say, look, I've got a vineyard here that is worth protecting. I'm not gonna let these little things become big problems and ruin it. Where is it in, in, in our life that, that we need to acknowledge the fact, man, actually, I'm on my own. You know, maybe you have your spouse, but it's just the two of you. There's no support structure around you. There's, there's no people standing with you, believing with you. Don't be surprised if you're in that situation and you start to get tired and, and you can't see a solution. It's because you're not meant to do life on your own. And, and it doesn't just mean, oh man, I've, I've found my spouse. Right, I've got someone, I'm not on my own, I'm all good. Right, God desires for us to be in community. Community is more than two. He desires for us to be in a family, not just our, our biological family, but a spiritual family where we're connected, where, where people want the best for us, where they, they love us enough to give us the hard word. And finally, what is it that our relationships are built on? Is it in our strength? Is it in our ability? Is it in, in our sheer will and determination? I'm just gonna keep this working because I'm just gonna keep working hard. Or are we relying that God brought us together yet let no one split us apart? See, in a minute, I wanna pray. Uh, and then George is gonna come up. But I just wanna acknowledge the fact before we pray that, that marriage and relationships are a tender topic. Right there, I don't know what everyone in this room has been through. I don't know what everyone in this room is currently going through. But I wanna encourage you, if you need help in your relationships, and it doesn't matter what that looks like, as a church, we can offer marital counseling. As a 
church, we can offer counseling if you're just dating. If, as a church, we can offer support and counseling if you're single, whatever it is, make sure you're supported. And if there's something in this message that's, that's gotten under your skin, that's, that's hurt you or offended you, or you want to clarify, please come up to us and ask. Because like I said at the start, nowhere in this is our intention to make you feel bad or convicted or condemned, but we want to encourage you that, that relationships are designed for unity, that God has strength and purpose and a beautiful future for us, that we can't change what happened yesterday, but we can go into tomorrow ready for it to be a beautiful tomorrow. Is that all right? Very cool. Hey, why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you desire unity for us. God, whatever our relationship is, wherever we are currently, whether it's married or engaged or dating or single or, or somewhere in between, God, that, that you desire unity for us in our relationships. God, help us to be unified. God, help us to, to realize that, that there is strength in unity and unity is not something to be quickly given up. God, help us to realize where it is in our lives that we need to draw our swords then we need to say, no longer am I letting this, this small thing that could be seemingly innocuous and innocent run rampant and ruin something precious to me. I'm putting the little things that are dangerous to death. And God, help us to raise our arms, to raise our hands and know that it's only in your strength that we do anything, that you design marriage, that marriage is your invention. And so we should rely on you to sustain it. God, I pray for every relationship in this room. God, that you would bless it. God, that you would protect it. That we would be shining examples of what a good relationship looks like. Not because we're amazing. Not because we want credit or kudos, but because we want to point to the fact that the only thing different about our relationships is the fact that you're in them. And when you're in something, it transforms it. In Jesus' name, amen.